we have titled these sessions Engage. And uh, we were talking, our staff and I were talking the uh, several weeks ago, and we were talking about how can we teach and prepare our people to engage in uh, their way of life with individuals that have different backgrounds, different religions, different circumstances. I think that one of the things that, of course, the Bible reminds us is that we're to be courageous and that we are to be bold witnesses unto the Lord. And I think because a lot of times when we find ourselves with... uh, difficult situations, we just sort of freeze up and we don't say anything and we don't do anything. Uh, I'm reminded in Second Timothy chapter 1, I believe, verse 7, somewhere in there, where the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us love and he's given us power. And he's given us a sound mind. And so therefore, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to engage in situations. Tonight, we're going to talk about addictions. And there's all kinds of different addictions. And we're going to listen to uh, some of our staff talk about some statistics about different types of addictions. But a lot of times when we're confronted with a situation or a circumstance of an individual that has an addiction, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Uh, I'm reminded of a passage of scriptures in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and following. Listen to this. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, You who are spiritual, you are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And that is so true. Uh, uh, Without the grace of God, every one of us could be involved in some type of addiction. And um, it goes on, he says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, that, that one of the responsibilities we have as believers is to fulfill the law of Christ, which is restoring. I believe one of the greatest, greatest ministries uh, of the church is restoration. And therefore, we need to know how to restore. For if anyone thinks of himself... To be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear one another's burdens. And so therefore, that's exactly what I want us to do tonight. Is to talk a little bit about addictions. So our guys are going to come, and as they come, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord's blessings upon tonight's session. We want to give you an opportunity in just a few moments, in a little while, to ask questions, maybe possibly make comments. Uh, We are recording this for the purpose of those that are not able to be here. Uh, Some are in the nursery and working with children, and others are not Uh, able to be here tonight, so we're recording it, and so therefore we want to ask you to speak into a microphone that we might be able to get what you have to say uh, as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, speaking to our hearts already about that we are to bear one another's burdens and that we're not to have the spirit of fear. But, Lord, that you've called us to engage in individuals 
with them to be able to show them the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Father, tonight we pray for your Holy Spirit to just manifest himself and to speak to our hearts and speak through our staff as we discuss uh, about many addictions that we all have been uh, confronted with in someone's life. And so, Father, uh, pray for your blessings. Pray for the glory of God to be manifested. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Guys, how about y'all start with sharing? I think Andrew's going to start first about sharing with us of some of these addictions. And, and of course, as you well know, there's no way we can deal with every addiction. But we're going to deal with some common addictions that we as a staff have been confronted with as far as helping individuals and trying to counsel them and encourage individuals. And so uh, some of these addictions you're going to be aware and familiar with, and uh, some maybe you're not as aware. And so, Brother Andrew? So, um, technology. Technology can be a major addiction. And if you haven't... If you haven't seen it already, we live in some pretty extraordinary times with technology. Uh, cell phones. Cell phones can be a major, major addiction. The average American checks his or her phone 150 times a day. Mm. That is that is once. <laughs> yeah. That is once. <laughs> Every six minutes, the average American is going to want to check his or her phone. So on Sunday morning, as the pastor is preaching, you're going to want to check your phone four, five, six times. And there's even this thing called, it's called phantom vibration sensation. What is that? Okay. What that is, is you feel that you got a text message. You feel it in your pocket or maybe you heard it on the table. And so you check your phone and you never got a text message. You're like, wait, that's weird. I know I got a text message. I felt that. I felt the buzz in my pocket. No, you didn't feel, you didn't feel the buzz in your <coughs> pocket. What you felt was a chemical release in your brain called dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that, that controls the brain center that controls pleasure. And reward. And so it's a dopamine hit in your brain that you actually felt. And you're like, that's weird. I know I got a text message. No, you felt the dopamine craving in your brain. And our brain is craving that every six minutes. You see, when we get a notification or when we get a text message, we like that. We like that. And so we say, okay, you know, I like when people like me. I like when you like me. Why don't you continue to like me? We just like that, you know? And so we have that dopamine craving in our brain every six minutes. And it has become a major, major addiction in our society nowadays. Now, I don't want to paint this picture like technology is bad because I think technology can be a wonderful thing. For example, my cell phone, I have the Bible app on there. And when I'm waiting in line at the bank... I could be reading God's word right there. Or I don't even have to go to the bank because I can take a picture of the check and it goes right into my bank account. <laughs> so in many ways, technology is a beautiful thing, but it can be a serious addiction for a lot of people. And, and to be honest, the, the, the paint is still wet in all this because Internet is still fairly new for all of us. I mean, it's been around for 27 years. That's still fairly new. And so we're pretty much, if you think about it, we're pretty much lab rats in this global experiment called the World Wide Web. And we don't really know what technology is doing to us on the inside. It is certainly not making us better conversationalists. I can prove that to you. Go to a restaurant. 
Now watch families. Watch families. Watch how many families, every single one of them, are on their cell phones. And they're not talking to each other. It also doesn't make us better drivers. You know? How many drivers? You see? Yeah, you see them crash. It's a major, major addiction. And, and I kind of want to seg- segue this into the addiction of pornography. Well, how does this relate to technology? It relates to technology because it is tech, internet and technology has made pornography widely accessible, easily accessible. And so, if you're a, if you're a parent, grandparent, and you have a, you have a kid or grandkid that is on a computer, you can they can be playing an innocent game on the computer and be two clicks away from seeing pornography, and then they're hooked. And so, I would encourage you to put. Filters on your browsers. If your if your grandkids or your kids are on, on your computer at your house, or if they have filters on their on their mobile devices as well. Um, do you want me to? Do a couple of the the statistics for this. The average age going into going into relating technology and pornography with each other. There are applications on the, on the phone, and these are applications that people can have these no-strings-attached sexual encounters with people that they can order as fast as ordering a pizza. And they can get these no-strings-attached sexual encounters with, pe- with people through technology, through cell phones, through apps on the phone made by the, the phone company. It's sad. The average age a person is, is first exposed to pornography is six years old. Mm. Six years old. That is how easily accessible it is nowadays due to technology. That is a haunting statistic. That is a haunting statistic. One in every four Google searches are for pornography. At any given time, 1.7 million people are viewing pornography. Right now, 1.7 million viewers. Not only that, this one's a really scary one. 64% of men in the church are actively viewing pornography. Whether it be once a week once a month, twice a month. It's a scary, scary statistic. And uh, I think one of the hardest things about that is with technology, it's just made it so widely available to all of us. That used to be something difficult to, to access. And now you can be two clicks away just by going on your computer. And it's a serious addiction. That, that, that chemical, that neurotransmitter released in your brain called dopamine is highly, highly addictive. It's the same chemical that is released when you gamble, when you smoke, when you drink, and when you buy a new car. <laughs> and when you eat certain foods. So I have the one that's uh, food addiction. What is it in your life that you just can't give up? What food? And uh, I'm going to really step on toes here. What is it that you drink that you can't stop drinking in the morning when you first get up? (laughs) No, hint, hint. Um, And you're going to tell me. Yes, Tim, but one of the Bibles is called Hebrews, and so you know God. <laughs> I got that one. I know that one already. No, but think about the things in your life that you just can't stop eating or drinking. Um, that same dopamine, that same strong chemical is released when you have that sugary food or that fatty food. Or that same, it's it's a reward type of uh, chemical, and so we have to understand 
that, uh, again, and, and we're going to get into the enemy's plan in, in all of this, um, but it all comes back to self-gratification, ourselves at the center. And, and um, I, when you were talking about technology, some of you remember when there was a day and age where you pulled up into the gas station and somebody came and actually filled the gas up for you. Um, some of you remember the day and age where you had to maybe pump your gas and go in and pay at the register. You don't even have to see anybody anymore to get gas. You know, and, and I think the dangers of, of technology can disengage us from people. And, um, and so we've got to really think about it and just wall ourselves up into a self-gratification don't need anybody else. Don't want to talk to anybody else. I can get all the things I need from things. And so um, I want to read a quote. You know, I could go into a bunch of food statistics and things like this, but this one was amazing what uh, this person said. This was a, their, own, their, their own quote. I personally know this to be true, uh, how addictive food can be. I am a recovering drug addict, this person says, an alcoholic and former smoker, and a few years after I became sober, I developed an addiction to unhealthy foods. The cravings, the thought processes, the complete lack of self-control, it was exactly the same as my addiction to drugs, only a different substance, and the social consequences weren't as severe. So I think about that. Um, even with food, uh, you know, sometimes at a Baptist church, we don't talk a lot about fasting. You know what I mean? Fasting is an important thing. There was, a, there was some demons that Jesus said, these don't come out except by prayer and fasting. And so I think we need to be thinking about that. What is it you can ask yourself, what is it that I just can't do without when it comes to food? Or, or, or drink, like coffee, or things like that. So really, really meditate on that. Uh, Brother Ken? I know that's kind of surprising that uh, you hear that uh, things like food and uh, Internet use. And, oh, I'm sorry. i got to put this. There we go. Okay. All right, we're good. And that um, things like food and Internet use and so forth can be uh, addictive. Uh, we're uh, most familiar with addictions related to uh, drug use. and uh, But, you know, just so maybe better understand, you know, drug, uh, drug abuse uh, addiction is a spiritual issue. Uh, God created man as a, as a spiritual being. And what happens with addiction is that man denies his spiritual side and uses drugs to fulfill the, the, that uh, void that's left behind. And, uh, and so, uh, the rise of, um, uh, addiction, uh, like that. The, um, the things in the United States, the most commonly abused illegal drugs, okay, are marijuana. Uh, and now this, these facts are kind of old. I'll update that in just a minute. Methamphetamines, cocaine, hallucinogens, ecstasy or molly, heroin. Uh, and you've probably been hearing a great deal uh, in recent days about the opioid use and abuse abuses. Um, more people uh, died from the use of opioids in 2014 uh, than any previous time in history. Uh, that was the highest. That's the most recent statistic we have on that. Unfortunately, um, a lot of this data is not really current, but uh, it just gives us some, and it doubled, the rate of de- uh, death on uh, these opioids doubled from 13 to 2014. So it's become very recent that the uh, the increase in the use of these uh, illegal drugs has uh, in, been very rapid here in uh, just the uh, past few years. The um, marijuana use uh, most people have seen that as kind of a benign sort of a, a substance, you know, that doesn't do anybody any harm or anything like that. But 
Let me just give you uh, some brief uh, information here. About one in six people who start using marijuana as a teen and 25 to 50 percent of those who use it every day become addicted to marijuana. Also, um, marijuana and driving, particularly teen driving, do not mix. They've got a lot of st- um, information, a lot of statistics out on uh, the use of marijuana among teens, and that's because that is the uh, the group uh, among which uh, is the highest use of of marijuana, uh, more than any other group um, uh, age group in our population. Uh, it's the most common drug among teens. Uh, more teenage girls use marijuana than cocaine, heroin, ecstasy, and all the other illicit drugs combined. And um, it more than likely is the primary drug responsible for uh, that uh, the preceding depression. Uh, and, uh, of course, um, it's there are a lot of states that are trying to pass uh, and make uh, the use of it legal now. But uh, there, of course, we know that it has been uh, some serious legal consequences as a result of it. So uh, the uh, illicit drug uh, addiction has become so rapid and the, uh, the, the uh, mortality rate has increased uh, so much that uh, we're seeing now a tremendous emphasis, as you've heard recently in the news, uh, on uh, trying to how we can go about curtailing this. But, uh, and that's something that we'll look at, we'll address in a minute, how to, how do you engage someone who has been addicted in the past? But the thing that's most important now, since a lot of this drug use occurs among the, the, uh, 12 to 30 age group, all right, uh, begins there, that, um, you need, uh, as parents and as grandparents, we need to be very much aware of what our children are doing, where they are, where they're going when they go out, know who their friends are, know who their parent, the parents of the friends are, uh, so that uh, they can uh, they can be held accountable. It's important, especially in this day and age when things are so wide open right now that we don't have the restrictions uh, that there used to be uh, uh, in our culture. So it's a it's a very serious problem, and uh, we need uh, uh, and of course alcohol is uh, another one in that group that is uh, very serious. And uh, much of this comes from in the home. Uh, when uh, young people see their parents drinking, they think that drinking is okay. When there is alcohol in the house, you know, it's no problem uh, for them to um, go and, and, um, and, and steal some of that alcohol and drink it. The other thing has to do with the, op- the opioids and other uh, drugs, even prescription drugs that are in the medicine cabinet at home. And um, there is an interesting statistic out that has to do with uh, seniors uh, who have grandchildren. Uh, you know, as seniors, uh, very often we'll have opioids uh, like tramadol. And um, uh, there's another one out that um, I can't, that we, you all are familiar with them, I think. But uh, that when you have these things in your medicine cabinet, the kids come to visit Guess what? The grandmother's medicine cabinet, granddaddy's medicine cabinet, is a target for young people today. Okay? So we need to be aware of that. Hey, Brother Kelly, can I mention something, too, about alcohol? Um, just a, a brief um, part of my testimony. Um, I have never drank alcohol. Um, that's something that I know... That is something that's manifested from the prayers of my mom. Uh, my mom grew up, you know, um, a father who, you know, drank alcohol and saw the effects, you know, of what alcohol does. And she vowed that she was going to pray for her children never to desire or have that wanting for alcohol. And so, you know, by God's grace, I never drank um, you know, alcohol. And so I encourage you with, we are, we're in a day and age where alcohol is something that has become a very gray area 
um, especially within the walls of the church. Um, people will give excuses on, oh, it's okay to drink. The Bible, I mean, he turned the water into wine. You know, it says a little wine for your stomach is good. I know what you can bring at me with scripture. But I also know that there, you bring that in, you know, to a home, like you're saying, Brother Kent, there can be a target. Um, just as if you brought into your home, you know, R-rated films and, and things that allow junk into your home. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for a church and, and Brother Kelly's stand on leadership in our church taking the responsibility to say, we are not going to drink, okay? Um, I, again, I, you know, I understand what the social aspect of it is and things like that. I remember being called into youth ministry and that it just confirmed. I don't want to be caught at Applebee's at a bar drinking when a family with students were to come in and see me there. They don't know what I've been doing. They don't know how many I've taken. You see what I'm saying? So the leader, it's, it's important, I think, for our leadership in our church, deacons, Sunday school teachers, those who are, are especially in leaders of position or leadership positions, uh, to take that oath as well, to say, I'm going to sacrifice because this is what our church stands on. We're not going to give the devil a foothold in this area of alcohol that could put us under some other control of another substance. And so um, I, I appreciate that about our church and about our pastor because, again, you can find a number of different churches, even Baptist churches, that will keep that a gray area, and um, I just think it's important to set the example um, on that. So, Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I feel like that our church is to be a shining light on the hill and that uh, we should set the example within our, our community and our congregation. Uh, and that's why uh, I have had such a firm conviction about uh, non-alcohol within the leadership of the church. I would rather say from the whole body of the church, but especially the leadership of the church, that we set the example that uh, we do not believe or agree with it. And therefore, uh, we don't only say it, but we demonstrate it. Um, You say, well, I don't see anything wrong with social drinking. Well, the problem is of that, um, it may not affect you, but you don't know about that little boy that's watching you, of how it might affect him. And so the best way to demonstrate uh, that you're not going to allow that to be a part of your life is uh, to demonstrate it in front of your family and your children. Um, I'm sure that it would be an embarrassment to you, even though you might would agree that social drinking is okay. If I came into your house and happened to go to your refrigerator and to say, I'd like to have a glass of water and open your refrigerator, and there's a six-pack, I believe that would be an embarrassment. Same way for me, that if you'd come into my house, and that would be there. So... um, we have just really just gradually brushed the, the edge of the garment of uh, addictions. The main thing of it is, and we can talk about many other kinds of addictions maybe at a later time, the main thing that uh, I want us to uh, focus upon is that the enemy has a plan. And that the enemy is, is, has come to seek to see who he can destroy. And that's exactly what he is doing in a lot of people's lives. And he's doing that through addictions. Uh, he has, became, he has uh, allowed this addiction to literally become uh, 
to a point of where you become a slave to your addictions. And so the enemy has one desire, and that is to destroy you, destroy your home, destroy your friends. And I guarantee you we could give countless numbers of examples of where drugs have uh, destroyed individuals. Uh, I was talking to one of our policemen the other day, and uh, uh, Brother Ken spoke about the uh, opioid. I'm pronouncing that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Of how it has become like an epidemic here in the beach. Overdose. And and that many of their calls is heroin, heroin uh, overdoses, and uh, young people's lives just literally going down the tubes with no hope or no um, uh, meaning for life. How many times has it destroyed families, husbands and wives' relationships? Pornography, for example. How many times is that has uh, broken relationships within the home? It just blows my mind to think a six-year-old, I mean, you know, good gracious, they're babies, that they're being exposed to pornography? That just... I can't comprehend it. There used to be a, a time, used to be a time that in order to uh, to be exposed to pornography, you go to the drugstore in the back uh, uh, part of the uh, area of the drugstore, they'd have these dirty uh, uh, magazines. Now, flip open a, a, a computer or a, a phone or your cell phone. Yeah, I think like talking, going back to the enemy's plan and all this too, that's really the importance of community when you're talking to someone with an addiction because the, the enemy, his plan is, to, is ultimate destruction, to destroy our relationships, our relationships with each other, and ultimately our relationship with God. And so the, the reason community is so important is because the enemy wants to pull us off and be alone. I mean, have you guys ever watched National Geographic when that lion is preying on the group of gazelles? Now, what happens when that one gazelle goes off? That lion attacks it and devours it. That's right. And the Bible calls the enemy a lion prowling around seeking whom he's going to devour, whom he's going to destroy. And so when you're talking to someone with an addiction, it's so important to emphasize the importance of community because you can't do it alone. You can't overcome it alone. You need a, a, a community of believers to, to help you through it because right. – the enemy wants you to be alone. He wants to destroy your relationships with people and ultimately with God. I mean, you think about Adam and Eve's decision to sin there in the garden. Their thought process must have been, we're alone. God's not there. So we're going to eat. And whenever we're into an addiction of any kind, it's, it's self-gratification. God's not here. You know, and so there's those thoughts of isolation. Oh, you know, God's not really here. Go, go ahead and do what you want to do for that gratification, that that dopamine. You know, just for your body to feel okay. You know, and so we have to be very, very mindful that the enemy's plan is to isolate us, get us alone, and not need community. You know, um, so you know if you're somebody that isolate yourself be very careful because we need each other and we need the lord um and and that's a and i think going back to to the addiction the the addiction specifically we listed off each one of those addictions isolate you from community and they destroy your relationships with other people pornography you bond this relationship with this image on a screen then you can't have intimate relationships with 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 god with other people with your spouse. I mean, every single one of the, I just used one, but every single one of these addictions that we've listed, and these are just a few of them, every single one of them isolate you and destroy your intimacy with the Lord. 
and with other people. And didn't God put us on this earth for relationships with other people and with him? Yeah, the enemy wants to destroy that. You know, one of the things that's so important for us, it's central to our faith, is our relationships. And uh, and so we need to, in that relationship, you know, the bond there is love. Uh, we're commanded to love each other. And that means that... Uh, in doing so, we're alert to what's going on with the other person. Uh, and especially as parents with children or family members with others, uh, uh, that you be alert to changes in their lifestyle, changes in their uh, uh, their health, and things that could signal the, uh, uh, the fact that maybe they are becoming uh, addicted or abusing uh, drugs or some other form uh, whether pornography, every one of these things are going to cause that person to exhibit a change in behavior. All right. So uh, as family members, we need to be alert to that. And when we discover that that person uh, is uh, abusing a drug or becoming addicted, then there are steps that we can take support. You want to get on and uh, move on into that? Okay. The... Um, uh, we have a responsibility. The, the more significant you are in that relationship with this person, the greater is your responsibility in helping that person deal. Now, one thing that you don't want to be is a helper in that relationship. Okay. You don't want to be someone who enables that person in their abuse. Okay. We get tied up with uh, the persons, maybe if they're experiencing pain, uh, painful uh, or um uh, withdrawal, depression, things of that nature. Uh, you don't want to coddle that, okay? You need to be understand where that may be coming from. There is, uh, because what's going to happen, there's a good story in Second Samuel, okay? You may remember David and Bathsheba and the, their, uh, the affair which they had. Well, um, Nathan, the prophet, was aware of what had gone on, okay? Uh, uh, he didn't withdraw from David, from that relationship. He continued to be right there with David. David didn't do anything about what he had done. He didn't take it to the Lord. He didn't confess it. didn't do anything for over a year. And finally, because of Dathan's care and his concern for David, he confronted David with that. And when he did, okay, it made a dramatic difference in David's behavior, as we know from Psalm uh, 52. All right? Huh? I mean, Psalm 51. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so there are things there's, um, that you can do uh, in confronting this issue. All right. There's, um, first off, you, you need to continue to demonstrate acceptance of that person. All right. Uh, then the next thing is to help that person assign responsibility for their behavior. Okay. Accepting responsibility. And then allow them to experience the consequences of that behavior. And that goes back to what we were uh, mentioned earlier about being an enabler, okay? You don't want to enable that person to do. When they're hurting and they start begging for things or they want money, they need some money, you know, you don't know, maybe to go out and buy uh, some drugs or something of that nature. You don't do that. You don't uh, want that person to escape the consequences of their behavior. This is critical because what... The, the, what does everyone do for the most part when we experience pain? We, we try to escape it, right? We run from it. We do whatever, try to get rid of the pain. Well, the same thing with an addict, okay? When they get uh, in need, when they start withdrawal or whatever it may be, they need that drug, the dopamine that uh, Andrew was talking about when, when that runs out in the brain, you know, and the, uh, it denies the brain the pleasure that it's been used to getting, uh, from the drugs, then it, it starts producing pain in the body. Okay. Well, you, that, you need to allow that person to experience the pain. Um, and there's an expression that says, um, uh, the, the, uh, sometimes it means that when you get to the bottom, you, the bottom needs to fall out. Okay. So that what is, is left is you have nothing else to turn to. Okay, nothing else to turn to. This is really critical uh, as you um, uh, uh, help this one, your loved one, your significant person, whatever it may be, uh, to 
deal with the problem. It's intervening. This is where you intervene, okay, and by confronting them with this issue. And as they're going through that pain, experiencing it, they're begging for help, you know, money, whatever it may be. They want another pack of cigarettes or, or something, you know. Um, you let them experience and say, see what this is doing to you. And that's come, uh, gets them, brings them to the point where they can admit that they have the problem. Then you have, that's the beginning of the process of recovery. Okay. Yeah, the, the word withdrawal comes to mind, you know, when people are, are trying to get away from an addiction. And I think that's the perfect word, withdraw from that addiction and run to Christ. Hmm. You know, run to Christ. I think of the, the prodigal son who had to hit rock bottom. You know, what if, what if there was somebody that came along and said, oh, you poor soul, let me, let me come in and house you and, you know, and just enable that person. No, it was when they came, when he came to his senses, that's when he turned back. And so the hardest prayer to pray, I believe, is praying for somebody to hit rock bottom. Because we don't want to wish pain on someone. We our, our compassionate spirits are wanting to help, um, but by helping, it may be praying that they hit the bottom so that they can come to their senses and turn back to the Lord. Um, yeah, the least favorite word that an addiction, uh, an addict, would like to hear is no. <laughs> That's his least favorite word, and uh, what a person needs to understand, they need to stop blaming circumstances and start looking at their own selves and recognizing the problem. Um, they, they tell us that the only way that you're going to solve an addiction or a problem, that you've got to come face to face with it. And you've got to admit it and to realize that there is a problem. And... Uh, I, I'm afraid that many times as parents or as a, uh, a mate that uh, instead of uh, uh, helping them to see the problem, we do engage in enabling and we encourage them uh, even though that uh, we realize that's not always the best, best thing. To know that there is what, such a thing as self-care is that uh, you, which means uh, a person needs to recognize that no one can make that decision except himself. No matter how much you love that child or that mate or that friend that you are trying to help in the midst of addictions, they can only help themselves. Now, we can come alongside them and support them and encourage them, But uh, to know that there is power through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I I want us to always remember that he is the source of changing an individual. He's the source of releasing that bondage and that addiction. He is the source of giving new life and new direction and new walks. In life, and and that's where you come in as a believer. Is that uh, you say, well, I don't, uh, I'm not a clinical psychologist, and I I don't understand all this stuff. But I tell you one thing: that you are, you are a witness. Mm-hmm. You, no one can deny what God's done in your life, right. and therefore you demonstrate that testimony in front of that individual, that there is always hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I add something to that, Pastor? Um, You know, this is engage, and so this is how to engage an addict and and, and how to maybe talk to them. And and I think one of the the most important things you can say, it starts with, number one, cutting off the source. However they're accessing this addiction, just cut that source off completely completely. And then number two, which is going with what pastor's saying is, number two is to heal the wound. And the way you heal the wound is by, by offering them something better. And that something better is Jesus. That there is hope. That 
just because of, of, of your, your past mistakes, that doesn't disqualify you from an abundant life now that you can have in Jesus. There's something better than your addiction. So it starts with cutting off the source and then healing that wound. Healing that wound. And don't underestimate the power of the, of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is power and there is strength in the word of God. And the Holy Spirit uses, well, you remember as well as I do when I remind you of when Satan tempted uh, the Lord Jesus Christ there in the uh, desert. What did Jesus do? How did he defend himself? He used scripture. He quoted the scripture. And if Jesus needs scripture, how much more you and I need the scripture? That's why it's important that you know the word of God. And that, that you have hid that word within your heart. That at the right time, at the right moment, that the Holy Spirit would bring in remembrance to your mind of the right scripture to be able to share. Yeah. If the enemy's plan is to cut out relationships and not have us engage... Um, think about the man that Jesus confronted with the addiction, and it was the addiction of money. He came to a man who had the money, and you know the guys. How, how do I inherit salvation and all this stuff? And and he says, "Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself." What did he say? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done all that. Yeah, since I was a kid, I'm I'm good there. And Jesus looked inside him, like, you're not perfect at this. So then he challenged him in the one area that he was an addict. We'll go sell all you have. Give it to the board. That one cut. Because was he loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength? Was he loving his neighbor as himself? No, not with that addiction. He had to cut the source. You said cut out the source. And um, and so you may be here tonight and you're thinking of somebody. You know, it's easy for us to deflect on this and say, not look at our own addictions that we might have, but, oh, there's somebody that has an addiction that I need to confront. How can I engage them? Well, first of all, we do need to look at ourselves, okay? We do need to look inside. Well, God, convict me of what it is that I'm just becoming so dependent on in my life and I'm not recognizing it. I'm not admitting it. You know, first off, then if God is leading you to somebody that, you know, has an addiction, you, you need to pray. You need to pray for them. Um, and, and you might not know. You're like, I don't know how to do this. Well, first, let me encourage you this. I, I think the hardest thing to do would be to be an NFL backup quarterback or backup position because you've suited up. You're ready for the game. And you have to stand on the sideline. They're not engaged. God has outfitted all of us with the armor of God. And some of us just choose to stay on the sideline rather than engage and get involved. And so that's the encouragement is God's equipped you. He's given you the power. Now we have to engage. And we engage with grace. And we engage with prayerful thought that, that people would be ready to receive it. Or maybe you pray, hey, would they ask me? And then they open the conversation. Then I know that's an open door, God, that you've given to me to go ahead and jump through. Um, I was afraid of this. Time has really ran out. Uh, We could sit here for uh, hours and talk about this. (laughs) But I wonder if there's any questions or comments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We we do need you to uh, <coughs> speak into the mic. Where?
Yeah, I asked the question. Can you hear me? Yes, I can tell. Um, I'm going to speak from a very personal perspective here on this topic tonight. Quite a few of you in here know the situation with my oldest grandson who lives in Hawaii, who is a drug, who is addicted to drugs and alcohol. It started with him with marijuana. Teens, I want you to listen up because there's a lot of lies out there regarding this topic. Marijuana is not as safe as a certain part of society claims it is. It is a chemical. It affects your brain. And it goes from there. One thing, addicts, it gets to the point where it is a physical problem that needs medical help. That's where the dopamine comes in. Everybody inherits an addictive factor. That's a tolerance level. You don't know what your tolerance level is for these things. You might can, some people can smoke one or two joints and not get addicted. Others can get addicted the first time because of their own biochemical makeup that triggers that dopamine that then takes control. And so there is a chemical factor that sets in, and parents hear this too. Once that sets in, you're going to need assistance to help your child get over it. So you've got to watch that chemical factor. The second thing is any of these addictions, whether they be drugs or technology or pornography, that same chemical factor is at play. And Satan is in the midst of it because Satan is a deceiver. And these chemicals, these addictions, whatever the substance may be, are lying to you and telling you lies, and you are falling for it. So the best thing to do, since you don't know what your addictive factor is, what chance? To me, that is sheer, sheer stupidity. Um, I came from a family that had a lot of alcoholics in it. My mom did not follow suit. She had a brother that was an alcoholic, her father, her uncle. Like Tim, I was raised, and she was very successful under the guidance of the Lord, to stay completely away from it and to convince me to stay completely away from it for my entire life. And she even did that with cigarettes. She was a chain smoker for a while before she quit. But... We know the dangers, so why put ourselves at risk? But once you do put yourself at risk, then you are going to be fed a bunch of lies. The bottom will fall out. It has fallen out for my grandson, um, and hopefully in two weeks he will be entering into a very secure drug treatment plan in the state of Hawaii. Um, but we've been dealing with this, and as they said, too, Parents, don't be an enabler. If things change with your adolescent, be very careful. Be very watchful. If all of a sudden they need money for little things and they haven't needed it before because they've got an adequate allowance or a job, get suspicious. Addicts will do anything, say anything. Just about everything that comes out of their mouths is a lie. With my grandson, it got to the point where he was cut off from his grandfather's trust, had absolutely no money coming his way. He stole people's identities. He stole and forged checks so he could support his drug habit. They will find a way until there is no way and they hit rock bottom. That's right. So once, like I said, once it becomes an addictive state, you need professional help, but you still need to let them know. I don't care if it's a brother, sister, uncle, aunt. You still need to let them know you love them. That will never, ever change. But you do not condone and you cannot let sit back and let them do something that you know is harmful to them. Amen. That's a good word. Thank, good you. Word. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? One more question. Okay. Mother Mike. It doesn't matter. No, uh, <clears throat> all the addictions that you uh, mentioned tonight, unfortunately, um, I'm very familiar with quite a few of them because I, 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 I guess I would have a probably addictive personality. 
And then when one addiction goes away, you replace it with something else. At one time in my life, it was working out, which is a fairly good addiction. But even that can become troublesome and burdensome on your relationship with your family if you put that above everything else, or with the Lord especially. But the uh, when I first quit, by the time I was got saved and I was 22, I don't. I guess I was probably an alcoholic, but I, I say I abused alcohol. That's what most people say. They don't want to say they're alcoholic. Uh, you abused alcohol for many years. I did all kind of drugs. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody that because I don't want people running out of the church. So, but then I've got a, uh, you know, quite a few other things too. But I can assure, I can tell you this that when I accepted Christ, I quit smoking pot drinking beer, cussing, and smoking cigarettes mm-hmm. from on Wednesday night when I got saved until that Thursday morning. I didn't do those things anymore. It was that quick. Now, has it been relapsed in my life? Yeah, you know, there has been. But at that point, I stopped all those. And I'm just saying that with, with, with the life that I've led, it makes it sometime when I can engage somebody who's drinking, has a drinking problem, because I understand what he's, he's talking about. You know, I'm just one step away from me myself. One one bad episode at home, maybe this happens or that happens, and I and I go to the bar, start drinking again. Here, I'm gonna fall right back in the same thing. So I have to rely. On, I have to rely on the Lord uh, quite a bit in my life. And one thing you do need, which you guys brought up, which I'm lacking, and I know it's it's because of my charming personality. I don't have a lot of friends. I know that's why it is. My wife tells me that every day. So. What I'm saying is you need to have you need to have Christian fellowship, not just friends. I need Christian fellowship. And I'm and I'm telling you guys, I'm tell, letting you, I'm letting everybody in here know this. I need Christian fellowship. Amen. I'm lacking Christian fellowship. Amen. And like I said, a lot of it's my own fault. I know that. I'm not blaming anybody, blaming the church, anybody here. It's my fault. And I'm just gonna put this out there. It's cause sometimes I'll go the only time I talk to another Christian, with it, unless it's Archie, is, you know, another adult is when I come here on Sunday or on Wednesday night or something like that. That's it. That's, only, that's the only conversations I'm having with them. And you can't survive like that. Because what happens is you, you don't have anybody that you can share, you know, what the Scripture said. What is the Scripture? You know, you, you can't share Scripture. You, nobody understands what you're talking about. So it makes it tough, and at, and at times I just want to beat my head against the wall, and, and feel I feel like I am, and um, and like I said, what I've taken out of this night was very good. I, I I thought it was gonna be something different about like engaging people over here. Maybe that'll come later, but I saw a lot of me and everything you guys was talking about, and you talk about looking at yourself, and and that's why I'm that's why I get so depressed because I am looking at myself. I, I get very I get very depressed because I say, when are you gonna? When am I going to change, Lord? When are things going to happen? I, I can't, you know, when, when's it going to happen? I'm waiting, you know, but I'm waiting. I'm being patient. I, I know, you know, my hands are tied. I don't know what to do. All right. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Brother Mike. Next couple of Sunday nights, we're going to begin to talk about uh, uh, some different religions. We're going to talk about Islam and uh, try to bring you uh, to an understanding of what they believe and what, uh, how different that it is uh, concerning the way that we have accepted the Scriptures and um, how do you engage with someone that, uh, who is a Muslim or something of that nature. So we're going to begin to look at that. Thank you for being here tonight, and I hope it's been helpful. Uh, hope that uh, you understand that in an hour's time that you can only scratch the surface. And uh, we have just tried to uh, put together of a couple things that we felt like that uh, would be of helpful to you and to uh, encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing us tonight to talk about some of these addictions and to begin to realize, dear Lord, that, uh, that there are strongholds that Satan would love to engage in each and every one of us. 
And by your power and by your grace, we are able to be released from any type of stronghold. And Lord, those that are under the sound of my voice, that possibly that there is a stronghold in their life, whatever that situation may be, Lord, that they will seek you and seek the power of God, the resurrected power to overcome these things. Help us as a church to be sympathetic. Help us as a church to be witnesses. Help us as a church to engage with individuals that who has these problems, to be their friend, to be their neighbor, to be their brother and sister in the Lord. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot.